Hello, welcome to Thoughts on Thoughts, a podcast where you, our listeners, can become part of a conversation with us. We are three therapists who are going to talk about the good, the hard, and all the in-betweens of life. Come join us. Welcome to Thoughts on Thoughts. This is Jessica and KJ. And we are missing Taylor again. We're, you know, just sending her all of our we miss you vibes. I'm sure every listener is sending her we miss you vibes. But you guys are lucky because you get to hang out with us again today, which is going to be a great time. So today we're talking about emotional labor, which is a not new concept, but it's kind of become more talked about recently and so we want to jump in on the conversation and introduce you guys to this concept just to give you guys a definition of what emotional labor is so that we can refer back to that throughout the episode emotional labor is basically the energy you exert into your partner or friend family member and the relationship so that's mental emotional and psychological effort that you're putting into your relationship. And in your relationships, it's normal to exert emotional labor, but if that emotional labor is not being reciprocated by your partner, friend, family member, then it can become a problem. So today we're going to talk about how that kind of looks in different types of relationships and then what you can actually do if you're noticing there's an imbalance there. Exactly. Okay, so we're going to lead it off with a funny example. I was on Twitter this morning thinking about emotional labor, of course, because I knew we were doing this podcast, and I came across this tweet by Bill Corbett, and it's super funny because it illustrates exactly what we're talking about. So he says, My wife is away all week, so I'm following pop culture law and serving my kids still frozen pizza, Bowls of refined sugar with cheap whiskey and Dixie cups. We're all wearing burlap sacks, and I'm hoping the flooding dishwasher will put the fires out. The dog has a gun. (laughs) Which is just like this perfect illustration of this cultural norm of when mom is gone, everything goes to pot. If dad were to leave, everything would stay the same, right? And that is obviously a very sexist perspective like example but it does illustrate what we're talking about because it's this idea that if one person is carrying the weight of the entire relationship not the entire relationship but a lot more than they need to be versus the other person and that is that classic example of oh yeah when my mom left my dad didn't cook dinner we just ordered in every night which was true for me growing up I know that my dad was like oh whatever is easiest And then at the end of the week, we didn't do any cleaning. And then we would just do a frantic cleaning right before my mom came home. But it's this idea that someone in the relationship has to do all of this work. And the idea is we want it to be split equally between all of the parties involved. But it's not necessarily always that way. And if it's not equal, that's when things can start to deteriorate because you have one person who is emotionally exhausted 
and mm-hmm. you have one person who is maybe resistant to taking on more of the emotional labor and that creates conflict because maybe one person is trying to communicate that and the other person shut down that uh, it can cause a lot of different things to happen that aren't mm-hmm. positive in a relationship so We're going to go through different types of relationships now and kind of talk about how this looks. So maybe just think about the different relationships you have and if any of this relates to what you're currently experiencing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the first would be a friendship. And in general, you want to have a friendship that is a give and take. I think that we talk about this a lot in general, right? What do you want in a friend, a friend who supports me, but in turn, I have to be supportive of them. But I think we all also know one or two of our friends who are not pulling their weight in the relationship. And you feel like you're the one who's always reaching out and you're the one who's planning things. And when you see them, maybe it's emotionally draining to be with them. And it's a lot of hard work because you have to support them because maybe they're having a hard time, which is appropriate if it's happening when they have a hard time, it's really hard if they're looking to you to kind of drain your resources to make themselves feel better. And we all have those friends and perhaps we are that friend. It's possible. And so we really have to look at our friendships and say, okay, how's it going? So this is that idea of that one friend who is maybe a little bit clingy And who, when you see their name pop up, you just like have a little bit of dread. And what we would like is instead of having a little bit of dread, having you set a positive boundary so that when their name pops up, you then feel like, oh, I'm happy to have them talk to me because I know they're going to be more supportive now. Because I talked to them and we talked about how it's draining when they just talk and talk and talk and they never let me say anything or whatever. Yeah, and I think that knee-jerk reaction when you see that person's name on your phone, if if it's a feeling of dread, looking at it and seeing, okay, am I feeling this way because, oh my gosh, I've put nothing into this and I feel bad? Or am I feeling this way because mm-hmm. <laughs> they're just putting way too much into this and it's suffocating? And that will mm-hmm. kind of determine what boundary you set at that point. Okay, so the next type of relationship that I want to talk about is a workplace relationship. I know that my husband often complains about people on his team and he's doing all of the work for them and not not getting the credit, right? And that is doing the emotional labor in the workplace. It's taking on more than you need to to help the business succeed, but it's not necessarily your job. And and I think sometimes there can be a little bit of that. Like if you know a coworker's going through a hard time and they just need a little extra help at work, but if you're constantly doing someone's tasks for them, it's not healthy for you. And it's not healthy for them. It's just kind of facilitating that belief of, I can be this way in my job because other people will do Mm -hmm. things for me. Yeah, exactly. And that's when you want to set those boundaries and be like, I do my work. And if that work doesn't get done, then I need to go to my supervisor and say, hey, I'm happy to do this work. But I realize that it's been assigned to this person. But, you know, what do you want us to do? Because really, it's unfair to expect that we would do extra work without getting credit or whatever, unless there's 
a reason for that. Like, yeah, oh, my coworker's wife has cancer and he's going to be gone. Of course, I'm going to cover for him. Mm-hmm. Versus, oh, he just took a long lunch for the 10th day in a row. And I have to get this done before this deadline. So I guess I'm going to do it. But he's not helping. Yeah, and this explains perfectly my feelings towards group projects in uh, yes, school. Yes, that's a perfect example. Yeah, I mean, it got a little better in grad school because it seemed like people were just really motivated. But man, my undergrad, it just felt like, okay, if I want to get a good grade on this and I want to get it done, mm-hmm. then I'm just going to do it. And I think it's like those people that just kind of wait to see who's going to step up. And yep. then they just coast. And can you blame them? You know, no, I mean, really. But it really is that thing where that's part of the emotional labor is that someone is going to step up because they can't let that project fail. They can't let the family fail. They can't let these things go. And so they're going to step up and do it to their detriment because they're doing all of the, all of this extra work. And usually the problem comes because they would rather step up and do it with resentment than set a boundary and make the other people pull their weight. Just like KJ said, if I want a good grade, I'm going to have to do all the work or I'm going to have to do equal emotional labor, forcing people to do their work. And then I'm not going to know if it's up to par. So it's just easier for me to do it. And that's often how we get stuck in this problem cycle of exhausting ourselves is that we're not expecting the other person to pull their weight. And so we're pulling their weight and that's just not good for us. Now let's talk about how this looks in a family. So I think it is appropriate for parents to take on a lot of the emotional labor in a family when they have kids who are younger. But Mm -hmm. if you're doing that past the point where your kids can do things for themselves, you're taking on too much. So when your kid's in high school, if you're still reminding him to turn in his assignments or do his homework, then that's you taking on too much emotional labor. And I see this all the time at my work because I see parents who, they might be a little bit of those helicopter parents or those parents who are really enmeshed Mm -hmm. and involved in every aspect of their child's life, but they'll be the parents where I'll meet with them for family therapy once a week and they're saying, okay, I looked at my kids missing assignments and I'm going to go through that list with them, figure out what's going on. And you know, a lot of times I just have to have that conversation with them of, look, your kid's in high school. They may Mm -hmm. need to have the important life lesson that, oh, if I don't step up and take care of this, then I'm going to fail my class and mom or dad's not going to swoop in and fix it for me. Like I'm going to have to retake that class again next semester until I can figure it out. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times parents will say, okay, okay, that makes a lot of sense. And they'll have that conversation with their kid of, look, I'm not going to be religiously looking through your missing assignments list anymore. This is your time to step up. And a lot of times the kids will kind of get that dose of reality and their grades will improve immensely because their parents set that boundary. The kid feels like they have some ownership and it works out. And then that parent has more reserves in their emotional bank account that they can then use to support their child in ways that that child really needs, like 
listening to that conversation for the 15th time about how their girlfriend did this to them and it was really sad or my boyfriend didn't call me and you have more emotional tolerance to help support them in other ways rather than micromanaging their life and making sure that they're getting everything in and making sure they did this, this and this, that kind of a thing. Exactly. But there is always a level of emotional labor where the parent is putting in more than the kids. I mean, right now, I have a newborn. I am putting in 100% of the emotional labor in that relationship because she doesn't even smile at me yet, right? So (laughs) I am just putting in everything, feeding her, changing her, trying to keep her happy. And later... As she grows, I'll have to put in more emotional labor at times, less at times, but that's appropriate. But there's a point where you say, okay, we have to pick and choose what we're going to do. And we've had quite a few questions about parenting adult children, and I think Mm -hmm. we'll do a separate episode on that to really dig into it. But I think this is an important concept to think about. Do you have kids that are still you know, coming to you for everything? Are there situations where you need to be setting some firmer boundaries so that you're not putting all the emotional labor into that relationship? Exactly. Because your job as a parent of an adult child is to support them emotionally and to support them more with friendship at that point, with a little bit of parenting, but very little rescuing. Okay, so let's now talk about marriage. So how emotional labor kind of relates to marriage is maybe one spouse is more aware of the needs of the other and they're not getting their needs met. And that can be a really challenging thing because maybe one spouse is realizing, okay, my spouse really needs to get this thing done for work, so I'm reminding her throughout the week that she needs to get it done, and maybe I know that she's not going to go get groceries, and so I'm going to go get the groceries and the toilet paper and make sure everything's working in place, and I know my spouse will feel better in a home environment that's clean, so I'm going to clean the house, and maybe I'm realizing that emotionally she's a little off, so I'm going to you know, come and talk to her about it. But when I am feeling down and upset, my spouse isn't reaching out to me or serving me in any of these ways. That's how it kind of And the work. spouse is still expecting them to do the groceries and to support them, even though that other spouse is having a harder time, right? Yeah. So it's realizing that, yeah, it's appropriate for you to pick up the slack when someone is having a hard time, but They might not be doing that for you on the flip side. So then you're having to continue to do all of this when you're struggling. And that's a lot for one person to handle. Yeah. And I bet for you and Elliot, you've had to really kind of look at this as you've gone through everything you've been through in the last few years, as you've gone Mm -hmm. through like infertility and then having a baby and now, um, you're at home with the baby and how that kind of looks like it's something that can shift in different stages of life. And it's good to be having conversations about it. 
Yeah. So we had to discuss this regularly, like with infertility, a lot of the emotional labor was on me. And so I would have to purposely put some of the emotional labor on him. And unfortunately that took the form of breakdowns where I'd just be sobbing and be like, you have to do more. But we learned and we became more appropriate where I could say, Hey, I really need you to be tracking this or to ask me about this. And he did really great. We talked about before having the child, I talked about us having check-ins every week to make sure that I, that we both felt, I mean, mostly me because I am the one who's more concerned about this, but to make sure that we were sharing the labor equally and luckily Elliot has a ton of paternity leave. So he's still home with me. Um, even though our baby is old now, she's not literally old, but she's growing out of being a newborn and, um, he's still home and we have really found a way to divide that labor equally, which has been really nice. But if one of us is starting to feel that the other person isn't doing a lot, we've been able to talk about it and we've been able to say something. And I think that, Um, that marriage relationship part came into play when I had the baby, I had a very traumatic birth. And so I had a very traumatic recovery as a result. And so Elliot had to do almost everything for that first week. And he was willing and happy to do it. But as I felt better, I stepped up and began doing more. I didn't just say, sweet, Elliot just like is so good at taking care of this baby. He's going to do it all the time. And I'm just going to continue to lay in bed, even though I'm feeling better. Obviously, I started to step up too. But Elliot was really good at seeing, hey, I need to take on more right now because Jessica's struggling. And then as I've done better and he has school, then I take on more on those days. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's really how we're balancing it. But we have to have conversations regularly to make sure that we're happy and we're feeling that things are not necessarily fair. Things are not ever going to be fair in a relationship, but things are not exhausting us or pushing us too far, that kind of a thing. Yeah. And I think just a simple example of that that my husband Jordan and I try to do is like if I cook dinner Mm -hmm. without being asked, he'll come clean up all the dishes afterwards. And so then I have done that, you know, with him when he cooks dinner, then I've gone and cleaned things up. And it's just kind of that way to show each other like, hey, we're equally trying to share the load here. And Mm -hmm. you served me by providing me with a meal. And now I'm going to serve you by cleaning up afterwards. And I think that goes with also just, you know, if I'm having a hard day, if he comes and talks to me about it, then I will do the same for him when he's having a hard day. It's that give and take that really, it seems like it should be simple in relationships, but it's really not because, yeah, you have to almost just increase your awareness of what's going on. Like looking at your spouse and thinking, okay, what are they doing behind the scenes that I'm not realizing they're doing. Or if I'm feeling grumpy and I know he's having a hard day and I don't want to go talk to him about it, remembering that time of like, oh, well, last week when roles were reversed, he came and talked to me. And I think that goes um, into that last relationship is the household relationship, which is who's going to do the work that has to be done, right? Mm -hmm. 
Who is going to sweep the floor? Who is going to buy the toilet paper? Who is going to vacuum? Who's going to make the dinner? Who's going to clean it up? Who's going to, you know, there's just a never ending list of things that have to be done in a house. And every single person lives in a house, right? So this includes having roommates. If you are an adult child living at home, if you are a teenager living at home, if you are just living with your spouse, everyone has to divide those household tasks appropriately. And more often than not, one person will take on more than their fair share of the load. And a lot of times that person becomes whoever is home more, right? And so if I'm home all day, I end up doing more work than Elliot does, even though we both traditionally in our marriage for the past four years, we've both worked. But there were definitely times where I was taking on more emotional labor because I had Fridays off, so I would do a ton more work. But then over time, I'd become resentful because I'd be like, well, I'm also working 40 hours a week. I'm just doing it in four days, not five. But then you're expecting me to clean the whole house on Friday. And then Elliot could say, well, I'm not expecting you to clean the whole house. I'm happy to help, but you're not leaving me anything to do. And that's where I think someone has to step up and do a little bit more at times, but they shouldn't be doing more all the time. I mean, this really makes me appreciate my mom. Oh, yeah. Now that I'm older and (laughs) think about this stuff, she did so much of that behind the scenes stuff for us. And a lot of that went unnoticed, and I didn't always express gratitude for that. And so I think, you know, in that situation, if she was feeling burned out, and I think she did a pretty good job of this, like telling me, hey, I've done X, Y, and Z for you, and I'd really appreciate it if you just cleaned your room. Um, Mm -hmm. And she didn't do it in a way that was like mean or to make me feel bad, but it was just pointing out like, hey, this is happening and I really would appreciate it if you would just take on some of this for me. Which is appropriate, you know, and it really is. It's those little things of someone has to notice when our toddler is growing out of their pants and buy them new pants. There's someone who has to realize that oh, our salt just ran out, and so we need to buy salt next time we're at the store. You know, there's tiny little things that add up and that someone has to carry, and it's that back-of-the-mind stress that we talked about in the last episode, right? Mm -hmm. So I have that in the back of my head, oh, we need to get salt at the store. And so I carry that with me until I go to the store next time, and then I have that. Whereas, like, with Elliot and I, we now have – a shopping list together and we can put things on that list and then whoever goes to the store will buy it. And so that was a way that we divided that emotional labor, but you have to put things like that in place. Otherwise the default is someone will just be taking on more and more and becoming more exhausted and more resentful. So that leads us to our intervention section of today's podcast. Can't wait. Yeah. Break it down for us. Yeah. Our first intervention, I actually had a client who was complaining about her husband not doing X, Y, and Z. And so we created this little intervention that they could do. So I instructed her to go home, rope off a couple of hours, because it's going to take a while 
And so it doesn't have to be a couple of hours altogether. It can be over the course of a few weeks or whatever, whenever you have time. But make a list of what you perceive that you do for the family and for the household or for your roommates or for the workplace, whatever you want to do it for. And then have them do the same thing and make a list of everything that they perceive that they do. And then what you're going to do is you're going to come together and you're going to share these lists with each other and compare and see, are they pretty equal? Are they not? Are we both perceiving that we're doing the same things, right? Because I'm going to guess a lot of times two spouses or two friends are going to come back and be like, well, I always call you or I always do the dishes and we both have those on our list. So then we have to have a conversation about perception and reality So you write this list and then you need to come to your spouse, to your friend, your parents, whatever, and say, okay, here's what I perceive that I'm doing in the relationship. And then here's what you perceive you're doing. And you guys can compare and contrast. And I'm going to guess that a lot of times you guys are going to have the same things on the list. Like, oh, we both think that we're doing the dishes all the time. Well, that can't be true unless you guys feel like, oh yeah, we both are doing the dishes and we're sharing that appropriately. And so then you kind of have to have this rumble, as Brene Brown calls it, and figure out, okay, but where is that really falling? Let's maybe watch in the next few weeks and make sure that it is falling equally. Or we watch for the next few weeks and we see, oh yeah, actually Elliot is doing the dishes every day and I am not. Okay. That's on his list. But what could happen is you might bring those lists to each other and you might see, holy cow, yeah, my wife is doing way more than me or my husband is doing way more than me. Or, wow, I am putting everything on my mom instead of doing things to take care of myself as an adult, right? And so you can kind of then shift the relationship to be more balanced and more appropriate from there. Delightful. I like that a lot. And it's just kind of made me think about how you're probably the one that's feeling more exhausted if you're the one that's going to bring up doing this intervention. Oh, of course. Mm -hmm. Because you're doing the emotional labor of thinking about how the relationship can be How much emotional labor you're... Yeah. 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 And that's where you're like, hey spouse, why don't you listen to this podcast and then we'll discuss it. But even that is emotional labor. And that's what's so hard is that you do have to do some amount of emotional labor. But if you're doing that emotional labor to make things more healthy in the relationship, that's good emotional labor. If you're just like, well, he's not going to do it anyway. So I'm just going to pretend that it doesn't matter. And I'm going to keep going the way we're going. Well, that is just going to breed resentment and it's just going to exhaust you and it's not going to create a healthy relationship. Right. Perfect. So the second intervention would just be to assess what your own boundaries are and probably doing a little bit of work to learn how to set better boundaries um, and actually doing it. Setting a boundary can be really tough, but Mm -hmm. the more you do it, the easier it gets. And we will do an episode on setting boundaries because it is very important. But practice now, set little boundaries here and there, and it'll start to get easier. 
So set up some patterns for how you want things to go. If you want your spouse to know, hey, my daughter has this club at this time, and then we have parent-teacher conference at this time, and blah, 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 blah. Whoever hears about that first can put it on the communal family calendar, and then it's okay to set the boundary of expecting your spouse to check the calendar. So setting boundaries in an appropriate way is going to create a happier, healthier relationship. Perfect. Well, hope this is helpful to you guys in your relationships. We're always trying to give you little tools and things that are easy for you to do every day. And if this is helpful to you and you feel like it will be helpful to somebody else, please share it with them. Send it to your spouse as a little hint. Hey, we may need to be working yeah. on this a little more. A little nudge, nudge. Yep. And feel free to share with us your experience. And if you liked this episode, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us get the word out there that we provide this for people. So thank mm -hmm. you for your support so far and hope this was helpful. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Have a great day and week. And month and year. See you later. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. We want to create a community of inclusion where we can have conversations about topics that you need help with or have questions about. We want you to have a voice in this process, so please let us know what you want to hear about on future episodes. You can email us at thoughtspod at gmail.com. And if you search ThoughtsPod, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All original music is composed by Milan Vrijic from Valley of the Bears, and our logos are by Rick Thomas. Thanks for joining us.